Welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, a mini-series of interviews and anecdotes tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. On today's Ooh Ooh interview, where I ask juicy questions to people that move me, I asked infamous New York native and all-around magic boy, David Cavanaugh, to join me. <laughs> Hello. David, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm just so thrilled that we get to talk right now around the entire planet Earth, and it's daytime in both places. Phenomenal piece of thing. I mean, it is very early for me, and going into late for you. Is that correct? Yeah, it's like early evening. It's uh, mm. days are getting longer here. Yeah, so. days are getting shorter here. You're welcome. Sending all that sunshine right to you. I mean, this is absolute proof that the world is round. <laughs> or an oblique spheroid, as they say in earth science class. So what's the weather like outside? It's unseasonably beautiful, but I guess this time of year, it's really back and forth, day to day, you know, the struggle, the uh, frustrating springtime shuffle. Yes, the tempestuousness of spring. Mm, yeah, it's exciting though. I think so. That's a wonderful season. I'm glad that you're getting to um, reclaim the magic. Oh, yeah. And what a release this time of year. I mean, uh, winter was pretty harsh and dark. Mm. What's the first thing that you see when you look around your room? Uh, there's some house plants here that are waiting for their new summer home, uh, getting ready to start growing again. I see some Legos, see some paintbrushes. <laughs> You asked the first thing, and I've named at least four. Oh, I love it. Keep going. This is delicious. Uh, some half-started projects, little sculptures, um, stack of paintings. I'm in the process of spring cleaning today because I'll do anything except sit down to file my taxes, <laughs> which I'm doing in a few days. Um, but I'm getting some really great things done while I'm not doing my taxes. Fantastic. I celebrate you. Thank you. <laughs> my accountant probably is not celebrating me right now. No, though, but, no, yeah. no. Your accountant is cringing as they listen to this. <laughs> I yeah. told you, Kavanaugh. Yeah. Do you get, do you get growled at by your accountant? No. Uh, we communicate over email and um, he's pretty stoic, I would say. Mm. I think typical accountant. I feel like that's a really important attribute for an accountant to have. Yeah, and to be non absolute squirreliest. Maybe I don't really do much that's very squirrely, except uh, I just kind of avoid doing what I have to do until the last minute. I think because it's a pointlessly complicated process in America, mm -hmm. and um, I resent that I have to do it. To be honest, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> oh, darling. Well, for the listeners. Um, or just listener, I don't know. Um, hello, dear listener. Uh, David and I attended SUNY Purchase together, um, where I studied art and you studied film. Yeah. Do you think that kind of interplay that we had, you know, mixing our disciplines and sharing projects, do you think that's rare? Um, do you have anything to compare it to, like stories from other people that went to, to college? 
Well, I can really only speak for myself, but when I went into SUNY Purchase in a conservatory program, I had a a lot of reservations about being stuck on a track. And uh, initially I decided to go into like, I think new media or some other program that might've been part of art design at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, they convinced me not to. And the, and the only way to really get like a full broad spectrum education in my opinion was to basically get all my film credits done as soon as possible uh, yeah. And then I used to have to apply to take courses outside of the program. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think as far as our friendship came about, it wasn't just that academic stuff. It was just that like I came to school with a with a tote bag full of clippings and color palettes and photographs and all kinds of stuff. And Rudo, you just immediately stole it. <laughs> and I had to become friends with you in order to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, you brought, well, brought some of the most visually beautiful things that I'd ever seen because they were new. Like you, you know, your resources were different than my resources growing up in Kentucky. You know, um, we probably had yeah. quite a few overlaps. So I felt familiarity, but also newness with you. Yeah, likewise. I was also just... Um, in the process of spring cleaning, I found like a binder of those cut and paste, like color uh, exercises we used to do in color seminar. Did you take that class? I didn't do color theory, but I basically color hung theory. out with everybody that was doing it. Oh, you might have oh, yeah. a color seminar. Um, but yeah, I, I was just listening to the revelations and realizations that y'all were having. And I was like, okay, I've taken the class. Yep. <laughs> I thought that was an amazing course. And like, I noticed that a lot of the art and design kids who I was friends with hated it. They absolutely hated it, but we did have to do I a lot of so that much. as prep. Like, um, I did color theory multiple times in different art programs, mm. like in summer camps in yeah. extracurricular camps. Or maybe it was just like, not this again. I know what a fucking complimentary color is. Yeah. I also think it was like, extremely technical and for a bunch of art students uh oh, and a bunch yeah. of like anarchistic like suny purchase <laughs> students like the kind of people that are attracted there didn't really like it um i could totally see that it was like just about structure and technicality and when you got too expressive you failed <laughs> really oh, that's wonderful though to brush up against that tension that's the whole point of learning yeah uh. <laughs> um, I wanted to briefly touch on some of the work that you did um, coming out of school. Um, you've worked on an incredible range of films and series that I've heard about anecdotally, but then when I go and look at your IMDb page, it's just amazing. And there's things in there that I know that you've done that I can't see, which is confusing to me. We'll talk about IMDb another time. But... Um, You've got things like Reformed, Youth in Oregon, High Maintenance, Broad City, Orange is the New Black. Isn't there? I don't know why. Sharknado 2, Beast of the Southern Wild, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. I mean, you've been all over the world with this work. What, what stays the same and what changes depending on the project? 
that's interesting. You know, when I've worked in different like positions on film and TV crews around the world, uh, it's clear that each sort of region has kind of like a different language as far as the mm-hmm. breakdown of their crews go. And sometimes what words they use for equipment and stuff but basically what never changes is uh the cinematic language to sound a little cheesy uh what we're making is no matter how diverse or experimental or conventional it's always kind of like the same general process making shots and all the stuff that goes into before it all the prep and uh behind the scenes work so to say what changes for me is for the first like 10 years of my career, I constantly had different jobs on set mm. as I kind of found my, um, my place in, I guess what's a career now. Uh, so there's that what's too. The, what's the place that you feel like you found? Well, right now I do, um, since the pandemic, it kind of changed my career a little bit because for the first year and a half, at least I didn't really want to be crammed in next to the camera with all the actors with their masks off and stuff. Uh, we went back to work with like some pretty rigid safety protocol, but I still didn't want to like get too close to the action, if that means. So right now I work as an electric, which is, uh, basically part of the lighting department and, um, kind of in charge technically of like setting up the power for all the needs of the whole production on location or on the stage. Uh, before that I was frequently getting the privilege of being a gaffer on TV show, which is kind of like one half of the lighting department underneath the cinematographer. Uh, I love doing that and I can't wait to get back into, uh, that saddle. Mm. Um, yeah. So when you're listing that? off those projects, well, for me, it's a, it is still a very technical job, but it's actually really creative. Uh, it's a deeply collaborative situation. You have to have almost no ego going in, in my opinion, because everything on set is for the director's vision, essentially. And the cinematographer who's, or the director of photography is in charge of actually making the image is also working just to further the director's vision. And as mm-hmm. a gaffer, you're designing lighting for that. So you really do need to have a voice, but you need to put it aside or at least mm. change it just to fit in with what you're making. Um, Cause oftentimes you might want to do something that's easy or something that's the way we normally do it or something that's expressive in your opinion, but you really have to defer to the DP, the DOP, I think they call it in New Zealand. And um, I actually find that really fun. Like, uh, thinking about how does, how does this lighting fit in with the script? Like how can we, uh, get the right feeling, the right message, that kind of stuff. And then in the end, sometimes it doesn't really matter what I think, but I think (laughs) I have really good insight and people like collaborating with me. I can see why you would be so well suited for that role. Like (laughs) if I think about the willingness that you have to see things from lots of different perspectives and the curiosity around what makes other people tick. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me that you said that. That's a nice thing to say. I appreciate that. Um, I, I believe you. Thank you for the compliment. 
<laughs> you it's not easy. No, you know? <laughs> no, I, I never believe easy. compliments. I mean, it's hard for me to believe compliments. Okay, fair enough. But I believe oh, yeah, you got to you got to you got to be wary of compliments. What is it that um, my fave my favorite artist reaction around comments or or any kind of critique is Frida Kahlo her famous quote around compliments, insults, they go down the same pipe. <laughs> they go down the same yeah. drain. <laughs> I yeah. don't like them. I don't care. <laughs> Do you think she was saying that because she was so fiercely independent she didn't care what other people thought? I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in her shoes with her set of circumstances and also – um, being a woman in art in her environment, <laughs> she would have gotten yeah a lot of criticism. I'm sure of it. Yeah, you know, such a foundational like character in 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 all arts. I just mm-hmm. um, I really feel like I need to kind of brush up on Frida Kahlo because it's been sort of a while since I've had even the most basic like yeah. intro to, you know, like this, she might be one of the staples that you have to come back to every once in a while and make sure you're not forgetting where we came from. Well, and she's unique in the sense that there's quite a lot of literature and published works on her, both in her evolution as an artist but also um her oh, diaries yeah. and her letters like she's really well documented so it's kind of um it's kind of easy to get inside of her head and they're, oh, yeah. they're always re-releasing um there's there's some really good books that i've flipped through around her letters some of the some things are really tough for me to read because it's um oh sure heavy. yeah but um like I the car actually, accident and the pain Oh God, it's so it's so hard for me to separate the movie Frida from what I've read about that moment. Um, for yeah, me, the, the movie that. was like such an important thing to happen because you're able to see how artists use traumatic events as fuel for creativity. <laughs> that was like, I feel like the ghost of Frida was looking at that moment on screen and seeing the gold dust settle on Selma Hayek's beautiful beautiful body and all of that you know it was a stretched out scene I think and I yeah, feel like Frida would be like yep just like, approval or maybe she wouldn't I don't know I can't speak for Frida oh it's so it must be so challenging to try to bring a role like that to life uh, there's a lot of pressure there also I think of Frida as like going through periods of being immensely popular in pop culture and fashion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like that makes me feel really guilty for not knowing more about it. Like like right now there's a trend kind of for people to be wearing a lot of Basquiat images on T-shirts and a lot of buttons with like really typical Basquiat imagery on it. Wow. Um, that must and be I really like a New think, York thing. I'm not seeing that here. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, but I'm also sort of like – I still have these urges that we learned from Gen Xers when we were kids in the nineties that like, uh, like, like I'm allergic to the idea of selling out, even though it's really important for making profit. Like when I see that artwork and that persona being used for profit, it makes my skin crawl like a little bit, but it's also exciting that it's like an artist who I like. Mm. 
it's like it reminds me of like when people see band t-shirts and they go you can't wear that shirt unless you can name five songs by that band you know i kind of feel that way with like basquiat where i'm like you don't even know who that is but everybody knows this is reminding me of a conversation that i've been having with bjorn a lot around sampling and and we'll just like uh copyright in general the use of other people's work in music in particular because he's yeah. getting into audio engineering and he's becoming um quite quite the music geek um mm. not becoming he is anyways uh we had a conversation around you know paying attribute to the source and how someone whose music has been sampled could you know die in poverty and not even have been credited for their work going into thousands and thousands and thousands of um uh samples yeah and sometimes you just want attribution sometimes you want money sometimes you just want the song to get out there as much as possible mm -hmm. that, that's like a whole tricky area people study it for years in like law school i think like well, my mom just got off like okay. this major conference from like the creative commons copyright collective or something and she was just mm. sort of talking about all the different contexts and situations in which you can use someone's work or you need to ask permission to use someone's work right as far as like academic plagiarism and stuff i actually heard you guys talking about that just recently mm. on the rudo love podcast yeah check that out y'all <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Ridiculous. Is my laugh goofy? Should I work on a better radio laugh? I'm kind of work going, I'm working with. <laughs> That's my favorite of your laughs. Okay. I'll stick with it I'm, then. Yeah. No, I love it. Just like, and even just like the real short little one, like the. <laughs> That's such a DK laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't fake that one. That one just falls out constantly. I can't even turn it off, really. Do we know what we're referencing <laughs> when you say that? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's get to what you really agreed to talk about with me. This is how I convinced you to come onto my show because I said that I would just talk about Star Trek with you and that's it. <laughs> oh, really? I forgot about that. We've been planning like, this for I'm so long. Coming I on your, you're like, I'm not coming on your show. <laughs> I have no, nothing interesting to say, Rudo. And I was like, well, what if we just talk about Star Trek? And you're like, oh. Okay. Oh, yeah, I could talk about Star Trek. What hasn't changed about why you love that show? Mm. It's like the same old... Well, when that show came out in the 60s, it was like at a time of great rapid change. And uh, they really did offer kind of... a almost goofy utopian version of the future. And I think that's really nice. That might not mm. be what's the most entertaining situation right now, given what we've been going through on the planet earth recently. Like we tend to like more complicated heroes and villains now, more gray lines between good and evil, but it is always a good time to imagine a world where, humanity has solved all of these problems and is now just on an adventure through the cosmos, helping other people come to that. It's kind mm. of imperialist in a way, but yeah. Now that you say that. Oh yeah. There's something deeply, deeply arrogant and deeply Western centric also being that it's an American show. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they've had problems with some icky subject matter as in like uh, dealing with gender equality kind of halfway dealing with racial equality kind of halfway like sometimes watching Star Trek it makes me think oh so in the 90s we were more comfortable watching shows about aliens than America was comfortable watching shows about African Americans or anybody else who wasn't white um, they definitely had some problems with queer representation until now is that's all at least with queer representation it's very overrepresented I don't want to say overrepresented. That's not fair, but they're making a it's point celebrated. of adding that to the mix now. Yeah. Hey. That's like, hey. yeah, the celebration is really key. That was like one of Gene Roddenberry's like founding statements, as far as I know, about like looking to a future where we don't just accept each other for who we are, but celebrate each other for our differences. Mm. That's phenomenal. If that If that's like your goal... Like that's how the outcome of your project needs to be. That's a phenomenal aspiration. Yeah, it's definitely in there now. And uh, their main goal is entertainment. But right. a, a backdrop to this is, you know, do we go in guns blazing or do we talk about this issue from different angles and find a way to sort of work things out? Now I'm finding the show kind of leans on, but how does it make you feel? Like kind of a lot. Like it's a, it's like all, there's so many Star Trek shows out right now and I'm watching all of them and I, and I do really enjoy them all to a different degree. They all talk about their feelings a lot. That's fantastic. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you, what was your, um, like, did you have a TV allowance or were you just allowed to go ape when you were watching Star Trek as a kid? Oh, as a kid, I had a lot of fun watching Star Trek because TV wasn't really like a main focus of our household. It was kind of encouraged to partake sparingly. But my parents had this old like black and white TV with an antenna. And um, the the cable didn't even go into it. You like tuned it. It was a little portable black and white TV. And I used to put it on this desk next to like like a Rolodex and a telephone when I was like a really little kid and they'd be making what? dinner and I'd tune in and Star Trek was always on, you know? Whoa. <laughs> Star Trek, the next generation. And that really stuck with me. And when I was an adult in my 30s, I finally decided to revisit this like franchise that I always enjoyed. But just sort of in theory, you know, and I finally have I watched mean, a lot I... of it. <clears throat> I beg to differ. I feel like you've been having some form of communion with what was happening there as a child. If I think about the things that have constantly been present for you, drawing spaceships and space stations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like, so your model work. Um, I'm obsessed with the tiny, tiny little spaceship models that you make. I mean, the amount of hours that you spend to create like moonlight or starlight reflecting off of the ship that no one will appreciate. (laughs) And you've got like a single hair brush. Yeah. (laughs) Why do I do that? I don't know what, that's a strange hobby and I, I haven't shared it with anybody. There's whole communities of people who do this online and I, I watch, but I don't participate. Um, right. 
maybe I should make that a resolution someday to to share this <laughs> this very niche hobby with other people. Only if you want to. You don't have to show everything that you do to the entire population. But I feel like you would be widely celebrated based on I, I you're kind of like the the dark horse of that whole genre because it's not like you're you're so singular, you know, it's mostly just the spaceships, right? Oh, no, you do planets as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I played with a what I would be comfortable showing more rather than the because those little models you've seen me make are uh, gaming miniatures from like a kind of obscure game from the 80s that very few people play. What is it? I'm not interested in. I think it's called Starfleet Battles, and there there are people who play it, like in Amarillo, Texas, for some reason, and um, people in London. But I'm not interested in the gaming part; just the miniatures. But yeah, I do kind of make so like singular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love to sell them so I could get some space in this tiny apartment. The <laughs> other thing is uh, the um, I've been making like little model cities on asteroids out of like actual garbage that I find on the ground. What? Um, like, yeah, like pen caps or pieces of sheared off screws and twisted metal or like, like little broken things. I, I, I paint them and glue them onto like little pieces of concrete and put them on little stands and they look like little floating cities in asteroid belts. Oh for God, some reason that's really that. fun for me. That's amazing. Yeah, and now like some friends of mine even they're like, "Oh, Dave, this is like a cool asteroid, right?" And they like give me like disgusting rocks from the sidewalk. Ew, gross. Yeah. That's okay. That's gross. Wash your hands first. Yeah, yeah, I wash them. I really <laughs> like working with um with coal. Like since I do, I spend a lot of time in the Catskills in the Hudson Valley. People have been living there for so long that there's like chunks of spent coal from like fireplaces and I don't know what all along the train tracks. It's very shiny, like obsidian. Wow. I like using that. That looks a lot of, it's a lot of fun. That's quite perfect. Yeah. Thanks. Mm. I mean, so in terms of what you do with that and your attention to detail with staging so like your whole life is almost like an opportunity for you to create these staged beautiful moments and you you create beautiful moments within your home so you know you put yourself in the I mean I'm talking for you feel free feel free to correct me but like you put yourself in the mind of the person coming into your home and experiencing things for the first time perhaps or and and you create these like pockets of surprises and um just there's just things on a table that are just there to look beautiful and perhaps tell like a little story about their thematic. Tell me oh, yeah. why you do this that. This is a goal. Um, I have no idea. I even hide like magnifying glasses in around different places where it would be fun to look at how cool this flower is or this little bug underneath a glass. I don't know. It's, it's a, I hope it's not a hoarding instinct. No. It might be related it, to hoarding. 
To me, just to come into your defense real quick, it feels like you are a child of psychedelia and you are like a sensory wonder and you're you're always in awe of the fantastic elements of sight, sound, scent, texture. Yeah, I'll go with that. With a with an inclination or a an attraction to old, obsolete, intricate, um, prismatic. You know, I have a, a cousin who was biking across Italy and he went to a town that we knew our grandparents were from and um, ended up accidentally meeting a lot of like second cousins or cousin or grandparents' cousins and like, you know, these distant relatives. And he said, Dave, I could tell they were all related to us because everyone had like a garage full of junk. Oh no. But it was all really cool junk. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Okay. I see where you're coming from now with the fear of hoarding. But it sounds yeah, like it's, I mean, it's a particular collection. It's not just, you know, a stack of um, newspaper clippings. No, but you will see this if you visit my brother, any cousins of mine, you're like, oh, you guys are all into the same stuff. Like everybody mm-hmm. has just for no reason, a really interesting twisted piece of wood sitting on a bookcase. I kid oh, you not. Oh, wow. That's just you know, such a great thing to have in common with someone. Until we die and then somebody has to clean it all up. This is this is the thing. Someone told me that it was like, was it Brene Brown or someone said, or oh, maybe it was Kara Swisher. Some some one, somebody that I love dearly, but I didn't hear them say it. Someone told me that they said it was I just think about the day that I die and that's how I choose to hang on to things or not. That's a really good idea, man, because my mother really oh my took God. the reins when she what? I just can't. Okay? <laughs> it's terrifying to me because I'm not going to change the fact that I have like thousands of things that could be art one day. I have a cohort. You know, we, you and I talk about, a lot about like what is art and what is an artist, who is an artist. And uh, a coworker of mine who's also an electrician and a wonderful person, avid hiker and kayaker, she um, noticed me picking up pretty rocks and she said oh that's it you know someone's a real artist because they just gather all this material around and i was thinking i didn't really think of this as material but sure it could be uh it's inspiration speaking, at least i'm gonna speak for her right now because she's not here i think she's referring to the fact that being an artist is more of a way and the thing that you do when you are an artist is con con continuously observe how the world is laid out for you and how you fit into it and spatially and um, design. Like I always think about the fact that everything is a design choice. I mean, I forgot to mention that this, uh, but you can, you can influence the woods. You can change things when you're in the forest to make a design choice that will then. I think you did a pretty good job of putting words into her mouth and you don't even know who I'm talking about. She she happens to be also a sculptor and her husband's a carpenter. So that their home is kind of like that also. Mm. Where everything is really well built, especially for a small apartment in Harlem. Everything's like really well designed. The hydroponic like plant system in their window is cool. Everything that their cat goes in. She also described 
sculpture to me is just different ways of getting stuff to stick together, which I kind of thought was funny. I don't really know if that's like too small, but I think it's, it's, it's charming. That is very charming. I love that. Um, you mentioned cats. So let's talk about your pussy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think of him in those terms, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that one was for Rose. She loves it when I say that. <laughs> um, where do I start? Yeah. Where do you start? How about, how about the, the meat cute? Oh yeah. I met my cat at work, you know, and it was really, uh, it was really a lesson in kind of getting what you want by putting it out there and expressing it and talking to people about it, not internalizing desires and processes, you know, Mm. like I had that habit from, uh, film school when there was just like so much pressure on us to make everything that you really, there really was an urge to internalize it and keep it a secret because, we were shy and feeling inadequate. It's hard to get out of that in a lot of things. So my cat Tuna arrived at a time when I wanted a cat and I was telling lots of people about it. Um, Then we were shooting on location in Queens. I think the neighborhood is Flushing or maybe it was Astoria. And there was a church where they fed a lot of cats. So I met this guy on the street and he played with me while we were working. It was so much fun. And I wouldn't have taken him if the crew hadn't like convinced me like, David, that's your cat. You know, I was going to leave and come back on Saturday to find him. But there is this one PA who I see every once in a while. And I'm always like, thank you for changing my life. Oh, Oh. Yeah, because he said he he said, "Oh, my girlfriend stopped by and she wants this cat, but I already have two cats and I don't want it." You know, you have to take it, otherwise she's going to make us come back on Saturday and take him. Yeah, and the church people were like, "Yeah, take him." And that was the beginning of our complicated friendship. It's a very simple friendship, actually. It's a man and his pet cat. You take a lot of pictures, gorgeous pictures of Tuna. How could That's you not? He's such a handsome your... little guy. True. He's um, quite a uniquely shaped cat. His eyes are quite intriguing to me. His the, the markings on his nose and his roundness of his nostrils, they feel like very like a very specific, unique um I don't want to say breed because like most cats are kind of like this amalgam of different species or breeds, but like Tuna's a yeah. very interesting looking cat. I'm not really up on my cat breeds, but I have noticed that like a lot of tuxedo cats that I meet are very self-confident and curious and they're kind of like nice, interactive, personable cats in general. That's just my observation. I've only known like a handful of tuxedo cats, but. I as well. I've only really hung out with maybe three tuxedo cats, but they do have quite a unique, um, curious about people kind of persona. Oh, you know, it's fascinating and confusing though. I read online. I must've been just sitting around reading about tuxedo cats online Mm -hmm, at some point mm -hmm, for, I don't know mm -hmm. why. And, um, (laughs) 
I've read that it's not a breed. It's a mutation that's common across all cat varieties, which oh, I don't really totally understand. So okay. it could be – so just because a cat's tuxedo, it could be any other kind of cat. Interesting. I don't know. Well, you read it. It must be true. On the internet, nonetheless, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. But you know what? That's – if it's true, that's really fascinating to me because I would have definitely assumed that tuxedos are breed. Okay, moving on. Do you have anything else you would like to say about tuna? Tuna noodle. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about my cat all day. I think you and I have spent days talking about my cat together, mm-hmm. in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of pets in my life. Him if he listens to this podcast. <laughs> I say all kinds of stuff to the cat and I'm convinced he doesn't care. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I know he can hear me though. And I know he can understand me, but yeah. Right now we're in this mode where no matter what I do for the next two days, I have no cat because we were just upstate for a few days and he was mousing. He didn't catch anybody that I know of. But he doesn't get a lot of sleep when he's hunting like that. So now that we're back in the city, the cat is essentially dead. Oh, no. Just crashed. Yeah, it's hilarious. I'll find him just in the most random places, completely unconscious. And um, he'll just wake up to eat at 7 p.m. and then disappear again. I let him be. Amazing. So... Um, last little anecdote bit of us being together. I have some questions for you, um, that I ask all of my people. Um, but I did have something specific for you that I wanted to cover. Um, in 2015, you came to New Zealand and, um, you did a very kind thing, a very big, possibly scary thing. Tell me about why you agreed to be the donor for me and my then wife. What a great question. Um, And, you know, what's funny is that people don't generally ask that when I tell them about it. Really? They don't ask why? Why? Yeah. Sometimes I talk to people who are considering being a donor or having a donor, and then maybe they'll ask me why. But... To be honest, the biggest reason in the front that I can see when I think back was that it was just so flattering to be asked to do something so huge with another person, uh, uh, with other people, you know. Um, I also politically believe that you deserve to have a child on your terms in the manner that you desire, you know. And then going forward, I still believe that I am has a the right to exist in the, in this family and have a relationship to me that he essentially chooses on his terms. Um, other reasons, I guess the first thing I said is kind of an ego reason. So that's part of it. And then the second part of that is a broader like worldview kind of situation, but really what an honor to be, to be asked to participate in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also not for it. nothing. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. What? No, okay. finish your thought. 
Well, when I went to New Zealand, I wasn't sure a hundred percent that I was going to participate in this. And, uh, but then just seeing the environment and the people that would bring him up, uh, I just really thought this is a wonderful place and these are wonderful people. And I would love to be him to be brought up in this fashion, you know? So, uh, <laughs> Thanks. that's a, a small part of it because even if that were true for me, you could have still done it with somebody else, you know? Um, but part of it was like, Oh, I think this is like a worthy cause. Yeah. Yeah. It felt very um, important for me because we often talk about I am being years in my most recent collaboration. <laughs> like we've been collaborating for a long time. Yeah, I, I I think of that also, but maybe in a kind of like a cheeky way. Is that proper use of cheeky? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Why okay. do you say cheeky though? Like, what do you? What do you? What do you? <laughs> why cheeky? Well, because he's a person, you know. Uh, so, but it is a collaboration, <laughs> like totally, you know. <laughs> but uh, just the genetics, just the genetics. Yeah, is the, is the collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of nice to think of like your child as a work of art, but I see him as yes. like a, chi a child first. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. And, you know, I don't want to downplay the intricacies of that. And my philosophy on parenting is like a really interesting uh, tightrope between um, doing and standing back. So... For me, yeah, um, it's quite helpful to just kind of stand back every now and then, you know, and go like, sure, I brought him into this world life-wise, but like, you know, he's he's got the reins now. <laughs> it's his, this is his life. I am constantly impressed in your your parenting. It seems so hard. I have so many people in my life who are doing it and few of them are doing it as gracefully as you are. I really mean that. Thanks. I think I have been thinking about how I would want to mother for a very, 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 very long time. So mm -hmm. I've had quite a long time to ingrain some fundamentals that I don't even really have to lean on anymore. It's quite mm -hmm. simple for me to um, allow him the space that he needs to, to feel like he has control over his life because I have been thinking about this for a very long time. Yeah, you have uh, good role models too. I, I, I have do. the privilege of knowing your parents, but um, I think the type of parenting you're doing is is very different. It's like definitely your own take on it, but I do see your parents in there, mm -hmm. uh, at least as far as how much like they imparted on you a constant sense of learning and exploration and wonder. That's the job. That's I the see that in I am for sure. Absolutely. You got to give all the opportunities for learning. I have to believe that it's just like what children want to do naturally. And it's just our twisted society that breaks them down. And disc it's, I mean, school is just even nice public school that I went to out in the suburbs of Long Island is still really just beat the sense of wonder out of you in a sense and made it such a chore. Like I know so many people who just don't read now because of 
what our school did to us. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's That's, incredible, really. That is true. That is very true. There's a lot of work to be done. <sighs> we'll get there. Yeah, I'm really not an expert in that area, but as an outsider right now who's not in public school or parenting somebody in school, it seems like just daycare at this point. That's sort of what I learned watching it during the pandemic and lockdown in New York that we needed the kids to go back to school because mom and dad have to work, just have mm. to work. And they can't. Mm. And it didn't matter if school was safe. It didn't matter if everybody was caught up. It didn't matter like how learning was going. They just had to be warehoused. Yeah. That was because a big was, part of the picture, at least. There's no there's no real safety net in America, right? Like you got to work. If you don't, there is nothing there to keep you from going into a very, 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 very unsafe place. Yeah. And during the first like months and years of the pandemic, there was like just out of nowhere an incredible support from the government I mean, it was spotty and and it just made me think, you see, it's okay. We can do this. Like freelancers can finally get unemployment insurance, which we never had before. Or like people and businesses are getting paid to just kind of chill out for a minute while we get it under control. It was also an opportunity to have like complete access to healthcare during a health crisis. It seemed like a really good opportunity to take care of some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But we didn't didn't take care of anything. No. It's all back no. to normal. Yeah, still extreme pressure, extreme pressure on our medical system here. Uh, I had a friend who went to the emergency oh, sure. and she was there for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, so sorry to bring you down just a little bit there. But I love the realness. Thank you for going there with me and and actually guiding me through that. Um, But for now, I want to ask you my my favorite simple questions that I ask people. I cannot wait to hear what you're going to say on this one. (laughs) Okay. Because I don't want to pigeonhole you. So I'm just going to ask, given the option to travel to solar systems to explore extraterrestrial existence or the ability of flight here on Earth, like as in you could just fly. What would you oh, choose? Yeah. Uh, actually, a very hard question, and I've had plenty of time to prepare for this, and I still don't know what I'm going to say. I think uh, right now I feel like flight on Earth. But what makes this question weird for me is I feel like I already do both of those things. Oh, like, darling, uh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so silly. That sounds so cheesy. But I mean – my paintings right now are like mm-hmm. outer space cosmic stuff. And mm-hmm. um, you are absolutely I, I going places. Thank you. Um, but also my dreams tend to be, I, I like I fly in my dreams often. I don't know why there, there's like periods. Do you, can you relate to that? The periods yes. where you have flying dreams a lot and then periods mm-hmm. where you don't have them at all. Yeah. I For some reason I'm flying all the time. Wow. Yeah, mine have turned into like they used to be like this when I was a teenager too, I think, where I'm the way flight works for me is that like the wind kind of takes me away and I find myself like grasping at tree branches and like 
corners <laughs> of roofs and stuff, and it's like very uncontrolled. Uh, and then by the time I get it like under control, because I know enough in dreams to be like, David, you're dreaming. Just mm. take the reins. That's that's when my cat wakes me up. Mm. All you right. So flight. But I really flight. actually would like, yeah, flight would also so help now because perfect. I do. Go ahead. No, I think it's so I could have an easier time commuting because like living in this big city, <laughs> I spend like a lot of time, all the public transit options, all the driving, biking options, they all take a huge part of my life. And uh, I just wonder yeah. like, could I carry, like if I was flying, could I carry my tool bag or would I have to get the tool bag there on a terrestrial mode? Uh, like, and then fly home or like, could I go to the hardware store and fly with two by fours? Or would I have to put those in a vehicle? Yeah, I mean, you you could perfect the art of flying in your waking life, I reckon. Okay. We get, okay. Get, we get tiring carrying two by fours. No, just, it, yeah. No, drop it. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, don't drop it. <laughs> don't <Okay>. drop it. <laughs> so next question is that um, my my mom told me about um, uh, an article in Discovery Magazine that, that really resonated with her um, where there was quantitative proof that learning another language makes you a better person. So um, knowing that you've got a few up your sleeve, what word in, other, in another language has deep resonance or import for you? Well, I can't stop thinking about, I don't know if this counts, so I want it to count because I can't think of another one right now, but um, the word is sofrito, which is like, I guess it's like an ingredient in cooking, or it's sort of like a process, a first step. I think it probably translates to something like some fried in Italian, like something fried, but it's usually like when you chop up your aromatics and saute them in a little olive oil on a low heat, like before you make a lot of the things that I like to cook. And mm. uh, it turns out I was doing this like all the time before I knew that there was a word for it. So mm. I'm like really, I'm really into that word. And I kind of have like my own take on a sofrito. I don't know if it's like, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if it's one particular way, but in Italian cooking, it should be, celery garlic and carrot or maybe it's celery onion and carrot but i use fennel because celery from the supermarket has no flavor in my opinion it just creates like a you know i mean it just creates like a nice base for almost anything yeah Uh, and the just the experience of smelling that like that's your entry you know that's your intro music to the theater that is your cooking yeah and you can start with your little bit of salt at that point or your hot peppers uh depending on what i'm making who i'm making it for i could put a little anchovy in it yeah so does that count as a word in another language or did i I pass yes sofrito sofritos yeah sofrito it's like a I think it's an Italian word, but they have it in Spanish. It would probably be different, a different mm. word. Cause, okay. Um, That's a good one. Thank you. It's in Greek food. It's it's a 
Yeah. <laughs> You're still going. <laughs> <laughs> I can't cook right now because I'm spring cleaning instead of doing what I really need to do. And uh, yeah, the kitchen is not usable currently. <laughs> so I'm, oh, like, I'm going to be thinking about food all day. Oh, boy. Well, best of luck with that, my darling. <laughs> Thank you. Mm, thanks for showing up and doing this and getting a really nice microphone. You sound so good on that microphone, babe. Oh, shout out to Fearis, my boyfriend, who's currently uses this to record his dulcet tones. Delicious um, dulcet tones. Yeah, I'm just, I plug his, shamelessly plug his band, Bulan Moon. They have a couple good recordings up on the different platforms. Oh, my God. Um, I love, love Bulan Moon. Yeah, yes. I can't wait to hear more. Well, we're at the end of our show, my love, so I'm just going to shower you with a bit of gratitude and you're just going to have to take it because it's my show. Um, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> <I just want. laughs> so I end, I end my shows with gratitude. Um, and And that really is because this whole thing is such a privilege and with that comes the reminder that um a lot goes into this moment you know the the earth being a habitable and beautiful place technology being stable and consistent um us both being you know balanced and sentient enough to have these conversations um and mm. our friendship to be rich enough to have the ability to talk about deeply personal things and for you to trust me to trust me with that. And mm. thank you for sharing all that you have shared, especially around um, your involvement with I am. I think this is a, one of the most magical, magical things that has ever happened to me is to be able to, make a child with the people that I love and to know that he has so much family that love him. Thank you for. Thank you for saying that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's been a privilege to have you on my show. So thank you. And thank you for Bjorn for the editing and the post-production bits i see that our our volumes are slightly different so he's gonna have real fun with this one. <laughs> oh no i hope i did it right i i am i am his worst nightmare when it comes to um sound check etiquette because i don't do it <laughs> yeah sorry I oh i see what you. you're saying now in this nice little waveform down there this is a great app Z yes, Zencaster for the win. Truly, truly love this free to use platform. Amazing. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? That's a really good point. I'm I'm super grateful for um the the platforms that make it so easy to do this. Thank you for inviting me into your life and into your podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's stop recording and then we can just talk some more. Like we just talk all the time anyway. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for everyone for listening. Thank you.